Welcome to Live in the Feast. I'm Jason Resnick, and for the past decade, I've been helping businesses translate their goals into online success as a freelance web developer. In order for me to accomplish my why as a freelancer, I needed to live in the feast. Now I'm turning the tables around so you as the freelancer can do the same and build a sustainable business to achieve success so that you can ultimately live the kind of life you want. This episode is sponsored by Feast. Feast is an online course and coaching platform built for freelancers like you who are looking to take their freelance business to the next level. Want to get higher quality clients? Command higher prices? Build recurring revenue so that you can stay out of the famine for good? Feast will help you focus and remain accountable through coaching calls, community, an exclusive mastermind group, and tons of resources. Join the VIP list now by going to res.com feast and get first crack at some exclusive bonuses when the next enrollment opens. Gina Horky didn't even realize that freelance writing was a thing. When she did, she knew that she was on her way out of her full-time finance position. She shares with us how she landed her first several clients, as well as how she builds recurring revenue in her business. When she decided to move away from her corporate finance position, within the first six months, she had landed her first clients and built up $4,000 in recurring revenue, which was enough for her to quit her full-time job. In today's episode, Gina and I unpack not just how to land your first clients, but then keep them on as ongoing clients. We also talk about how you should stay focused on getting work and the process around how you can figure out how many pitches you need to make per month to remain sustainable. So your takeaway from this episode is to figure out how much you need per month for you to live your life, then work backwards. Figure out how much per client and or project brings in, then figure out how many of those clients you need per month, and then figure out how many pitches you need to make in order to bring in those clients. Welcome, everybody. Today, I am so excited to be bringing on Gina Horky of so many different things, right? Like, and I'll get into the wish, how I encountered her, but she was a freelance writer and uh, she's absolutely killing it, living in the feast, being able to not only just support, but be with her family. So welcome, Gina. Thanks for having me. That is accurate. And I'm enjoying it most of the time. <laughs> Great. Uh, so it was funny how I encountered you the first time it was because last summer I ran a giveaway for freelancers and uh, I just did a quick Google search and your giveaway came up. And then I, just by chance encounter, you know, we happened to be in the same Facebook group. Um, and then we met at uh, Brennan Dunn's conference uh, back in the fall, I believe it was. Um, and yeah, in Virginia. And there's just like, this <laughs> Gina's everywhere. So, you know, I wanted to bring you on, um, not to mention, you know, popping up in ads on my Facebook page. So I'm waiting for you to knock on my door at this point. <laughs> just be like, hey, I'm here. So um, why don't you uh, just briefly tell everybody what, uh, what you're all about? 
Sure. So again, Gina Horky, I run the website horkyhandbook.com. And it was just kind of a play on words when I was setting up a website. The reason that I launched my site initially was just to showcase my portfolio as a new freelance writer. And then I started kind of doing what a lot of people do as far as teaching what I was learning in the freelance space, specifically freelance writing when I got started. Um, So that is what my blog is geared at is really to help you find or become a kick-ass virtual assistant and freelance writing can kind of fall underneath the umbrella of virtual assistant work. Okay. So how did you come about doing that in the first place? I mean, did you work full-time first or you just jumped into it? I mean, what was the path there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I started a side hustle of freelance writing just to kind of test the waters and see if it was a viable career option. I was in finance. I had my own small financial planning practice. And then I worked as um, kind of a team member doing customer service and different things for this small practice, but they were really profitable. It was family owned and run. So I had a really good thing going. They treated me well. I really enjoyed them, but I didn't really want to do that type of work for the next 30 years. My husband had quit his job to become a stay-at-home dad the year before. So he quit his job in July of 2013. And then I knew like I had wanted to change for a while, but I had a hard time I guess, getting honest with myself and allowing myself the opportunity to change careers because I felt like I had chosen this one in finance and I had been in it almost a decade and I had kind of committed like this is my life path and knowing there was a lot of opportunity. And then he stays at home with our kids and then you kind of really feel trapped, right? Like, what am I going to do? I work 10 minutes from home and, you know, there was all these great perks with this position I was in. And so one day randomly coming across a search in Google, just like how you found me, I found freelance writing. I really didn't even know it was a thing. I knew people got paid to write books, either fiction or nonfiction. And I knew that there was like some medical or technical writing that existed, but I didn't know the whole content marketing side of things, the internet at large and every company needing a website, which would mean they'd need copy and they'd probably need a blog and all of that. That fun stuff. And so I learned about it. I started to investigate and I was hooked. I knew that I, I could do that. And then freelance writing was like step one. And now I have this business that is centered around teaching and helping others. And I still do a little bit of service work. I added in virtual assistant work later that year. So I started my business technically in May of 2015. So we were coming up, or excuse me, May of 2014. I don't even know my own dates. We're coming up on three years um, next month. And uh, within eight months, I left work behind. I sold my little practice and I quit my job and started working from home full time as this webpreneur. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, there's so much in there. I mean, that's like a lot of people I talk to, they get that apprehension at first, right? Like where it's like they're not sure about I have this full time job. I have this security. Right. And now I want to do this other thing, right? Because yep. this other thing's going to afford me to be able to do something else, right? Like we don't jump into freelancing or, you know, building our own business because we want to work more. I mean, nobody says that, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> but the secret is you end up doing more work, right? Right. right. <laughs> it's funny. And it's because, you know, people are always kind of scared. Like you either have the people that kind of just jump into it 
or the people that kind of ease themselves into it. Like for me, I built up a client base before I basically cut ties. Yep. Whereas I've heard other stories where they're just like, I'm totally sick of this. I'm just quitting. I'm going to move to the other side of the country and I'm going to start my own thing. And I'm like, I, I, <laughs> I totally respect that. There's no way that I could do that. Right. right? Like no. it's just not my thing. Totally a planner but, over yeah. here too, especially with the financial background. And then I had the family and we weren't planning on downsizing or moving or any of that kind of stuff. So I, I built my business on the side like you did too. And when I made $4,000 a month, which I think was like September of the year that I started. So within six months of starting my business, then I was like, okay, this is working. It's consistently growing. And I'm almost on par with my day job income at the time. So that allowed me to kind of make that decision and really give it a go. But in the back of my mind, there were still like, what if this doesn't work? What am I going to do? Right. Yeah. So to that respect, how did you get your first clients? I mean, you saw online that it was a thing to do freelance writing. You don't necessarily write books, but you help with businesses in their copy and all that kind of stuff and the education side of it. How did you find your first clients? Yeah. So one of my first clients, uh, my very first paid client, I believe was from a Facebook group. So I had been networking in this hustle space. So do you know who John Acuff is? Have you heard his name before? No. So he's uh, really great. He's from like the Nashville area and he used to work on Dave Ramsey's team for a little bit, but he's very big in like owning your own career. And so he's got a couple of books. One is Start, one is Quitter, and then another one, which is Do Over that are really popular. So I had read Start and I joined his Facebook group, which is called 30 Days of Hustle. And so I had encountered this gal as I was saying, okay, I'm getting into freelance writing. And she's like, okay, well, I need some articles written in the gluten-free space of all things <laughs> for her blog. And so I took that on and that was a good experience. And then the second client was from job boards. So early on, I had a lot of success from job boards. And it was because it was a easy for me to know to pitch myself and to kind of hone my pitching skills with, you know, the copy in my own email, getting a feel for what people were looking for. So I didn't stay there forever, but it was a great way for me to start and get a lot of practice. Yeah. And I think that's important. You kind of have to, especially if you're not used to selling, you kind of have to get practice at that tactic, right? Like you have to be able to know how to sell yourself, how to pitch, how to even answer an ad, because there's a lot that goes along with it. Like you can't just say, Hey, I do X, Y, and Z, right? Like you kind of have to talk to the benefits of what you're doing because ultimately that ad, the company, the person, whoever's on the other side that posted that ad, they don't really, they, I mean, you have that skill, yeah, but and they know that you have that skill, but they're like, okay, but what, how does that help me? Right. How do, why is that good for me? So I think that initial ramp up period, like I know I had to do the same thing. I got a lot of jobs from you know Craigslist or answering Twitter or something like that. And especially in the niche that I'm in, as far as e-commerce goes, I was in a lot of forums and things like that. And people would post jobs and stuff and I would respond and get a lot of crickets. And then I was like, okay, what did I change here? Like in this email that makes it appealing to somebody, right. you know? So- yeah, we could it's, we could talk pitching all day long, but your experience is almost like your own case study, right? Like you're trying to improve your batting average, how many people are going to reply and you can really get to have a conversation and engage with you. And pitching is actually one of my favorite things. So selling myself was never really a problem. I didn't care for the rejection in the beginning. Now I could really care less. 
but it's kind of like art and science, what goes into one. And I think you're right on as far as like your pitch can't be about you. Yes, they need to know that you're proficient, but that pitch is about them and how you can help them with their business. My favorite way to open up a pitch is to let them know how I came across them. So whether it was a job board or even just a Google search or on Pinterest or something like that. And then I make some kind of really authentic connection because I've done some research on the company, right? I've gone to their website. I perused it. I didn't just read the last blog post that they put out. I'm looking around at who, you know, the about page and the founder and all that kind of stuff, knowing who I'm pitching. And that way I can personalize it to them specifically and I can compliment them on something authentic that I have a connection with them about. That one thing I think has really helped to set me apart from other writers that are taking the viewpoint of here's me, here's some stuff about me, here's why you should hire me. Like, yes, that's a little bit important, but it shouldn't be the focus of your pitch. Right. And yeah, and and you brought up a good point there is you kind of have to do a little research before you answer those ads, right? Like I know for me, just on the other side, right? So a potential client would come to me asking and just blast out an email and it would be completely like if they just went to my website, what they said in the email, they would realize that wouldn't make any sense. Right. Right. Like, so like you kind of have to do, do a little due diligence. And that was something that I learned as well, you know, to be able to make that connection, like whether it's a blog post that you wrote or, you know, even just congratulating them on like, let's say a new client, because I did a lot of, you know, overflow agency work at the beginning. So sometimes I would look at their Twitter account or their Facebook page or something like that. And they would announce that there was a new client launch or something like that. And I would just basically congratulate them on that. Right. Like to be able to make that initial connection, it, it shows that you're putting a little effort into answering them. And not just blanking, like grabbing the email address and sending it away. Right. right. And you can totally use a template in order to make things easier on yourself. So it's not about, you know, writing a pitch from scratch every time. It's just that there's a couple of sections that you need to go and do some research and then personalize. But that's a great example of, you know, complimenting them on a new client that shows that you're in the know and that, again, you took that time. So I think that that's a really great example. And I would be impressed. Like we're all really kind of self-centered and we want to be told we're awesome and, you know, be complimented. So, you know, the people that you're pitching are no different in that respect. And if, if it's not BS, I think compliments are really, uh, can be a clincher, I guess, for the next step, which is continuing that conversation. Yeah. And it takes practice. Like you said earlier, like it's just, you have to be able to figure out what it is that works and doesn't work and keep trying. Right. 100%. So now that you had gotten a bunch of clients under your belt, right? Did you start thinking like, okay, how do I do this more effectively? How do I get more clients? Was there any processes that you started to put in place or what was that first process that you did put in place? Well, to touch on prospecting really quick, um, for me, I knew that I needed to, I calculated how much income I needed in order to replace my day job and feel like I could confidently step out and put in my notice and leave work behind. So that's what I did first. I knew what the overarching goal was. And then I backed out that math to know how many clients at what average fee. And my focus was always then on reoccurring client work rather than one-off projects. I would take them on if I had room, but I really wanted to focus on getting, you know, one blog post a week or 
one a month at a higher rate, whatever it was so that I could do my math, bring it all together. And again, get that sum that I would need to live off of going forward. And so in order to do that, then I also backed out based on income numbers, how many pitches I'd need to send in order to get a new client. Mm -hmm. And I kept track of that batting average, how successful I was, and I would tweak accordingly. So knowing what you need to do in order to get new clients is really important. Knowing how many pitches you need to send out, how many, you know, coffees you need to schedule, networking events that you need to attend, whatever the method is for your prospecting madness. I would really know what your numbers are and then schedule time into your calendar on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis to make sure that that is like your most important thing. So when I teach students about starting a new freelance business, I tell them that 90% of their time should be spent prospecting until they land a client. And then when they land a client, that 90% can come down based on the time that they're working with that client and getting paid, right? Mm -hmm. But you can't decrease that. You can't front load that with like making your website super, super awesome or doing all of this learning past a a certain point, right? You need to really just be hitting the ground and, and looking for those clients and pitching them and whatnot. And then when it comes to managing client relationships, I think you also need to know kind of your calendar as well. I'm a big fan of doing batching. So I know like Pat Flynn has talked about this recently on his podcast with Productivity but figuring out kind of what days are for what activities. It could be admin on a certain day or even pitching on a certain day. It could be writing or doing, you know, your invoicing. So figure out what kind of things you need to do in order to run your business. And then you can batch them by day. And batching just means that you're doing multiple of the same activity at one time or in one session, rather than doing a little bit every day and going from one thing to the next, um, right brain, left brain, and and not being really effective at everything. Does that help yeah. answer that question? Yeah. I feel like I rambled a little bit. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, that was great. Because I think, especially with managing clients, right? Like you said, until you get that first client, everything you should be doing is pitching, right? And I think that's important because a lot of people are like, oh, I got to get my website up or I got to get my Twitter account looking good or I got to get my Facebook profile looking great. Like, who cares about all that stuff? Like, if you don't have any clients, that stuff doesn't right. matter, right? Like, see, right. Like, you think that I'm going to come to your door next, right? That's my next stop is New York. Um, but People also think that when they open a business, and and this is especially not true with an online business, that people are going to start knocking at your door knowing that you have services that you can provide in return for a fee. And I don't know where that comes from, but it's completely false. You need to, and this was one of your questions I know that we were going to talk about, my number one piece of advice is to always be marketing. So not only in the beginning of your business until you get clients, but always be on the lookout Build relationships, let people know what it is that you do, but be genuinely helpful to them so that they remember you when the time comes, right? Yeah. I mean, for me, my <laughs> my website looks good now, right? And I've been freelancing for over a decade and full-time for seven years. And Plus you're a developer. <laughs> plus I'm a developer, right? But I'm not a designer by any stretch of the imagination, right? Like I know what looks good. I just never know how to get there, Right. But for me, it was like, I would just throw up this website, just thinking like, okay, at first, like, it's got to look good. It's got to have my style. It's got to have my language. And like, I'd tweak all this stuff. And then I realized that I was not getting any clients through it. Like there was, 
okay, the fact that like somebody can go online and see that I have a website, I think is good enough, right? <laughs> like, they could contact yeah. me through there and that's good. Yep. But the, what I was getting as far as uh, referrals and word of mouth and making those networking connections and things like that, that was what was selling me, not necessarily the website. So a lot of people get so hung up on like, oh, making sure their submit buttons look good and like, you know, making sure the images are right. And like, and I tell them constantly, I'm like, forget about it. Just get that up. And I do that for my e-commerce clients too. Like if you have products to sell, let's sell those products. Like your site is yep. working, right? You, you can take yep. payments, they can check out, they can log in and look at their order. Let's just get that up and then we'll work on the tweaks. We've, we got to find out what works and doesn't work. Then on top of that, once you start getting those clients, managing those clients, like I'm very big on that initial interaction once they sign on with you. A lot of people like for the first couple of days, they go dark. Like somebody just handed you 50% of the project and a couple thousand dollars. And like, right. and now you haven't answered an email. You haven't called them you, like for a day. And I, if it was me, I'd be worried. I'd be like, I just sent off a couple thousand dollars. And, and where's this person? I'm always telling people I'm big on that initial kickoff. Like you pay me the deposit. Then tomorrow we're going to have a phone call and we're going to talk about your project and we're going to do the discovery and really start getting going. And I don't think it's really a matter of purpose that they do that. They go dark, but they're like, oh, I got to set up this. I got to do that. And I got to get them all right in the systems and whatever they need to do internally. But right. just do that after. Tell the client, like, we're going to have this call, make them feel important. And then tell them, look, I'm going to be setting up in my billing system and my CRM and all that stuff. So you might be getting some emails from those systems and things like that. And like bring them into the company, like don't just <laughs> let them go. And I've seen that. And I had somebody complain after a week, like, you know, that I wasn't working. And I said, well, did you call them? Did you make a connection? Right. It all comes down to communication. I mean, whether it's business or your personal life, I think that's the number one improvement that we could all make uh, just as a personal proficiency. But we refer to it as client onboarding. And Kathy Sierra has a really good book, like The Badass User or something like that. It's called. Have you read that? But it's basically about onboarding new clients and how much more important it is to make your clients feel awesome about using your service rather than making your service be awesome. So it's about the end result of the user. But I think if that begins with the initial interaction with you. And if you lay out what the process is like working with you, they're probably going to be at a higher conversion rate. Like they're more likely to work with you once you've taken the guesswork out of what the process looks like for them. And then if you make sure to follow through on that, I think it's just reassurance to them that they made that right decision as well. And it'll increase that whole referability factor that you mentioned earlier. So definitely, if you don't have client onboarding a process in place, that would be the first one that I would put in place if you're currently taking on new clients. If you're not, like you're just really getting started, then I would put a process in place for that whole prospecting thing first. Perfect. Yeah. I'm with you on all those points. So now that you had built up the services business and you were getting that recurring revenue and all that other stuff, and you mentioned it already about the virtual assistant business and courses and products and things like that, and you have the virtual assistant finder. So it looks like you're connecting folks that need, have a need with 
people that have the skills to fulfill that need and go check it out on her site. It's great. She's give, she gives like a one, two, three step process on what to do with that. Client onboarding, right? Yeah. Or what, what does it look like to work with right. me? <laughs> Good example. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what made you do that shift? Like, I mean, obviously the business was working. Was there like something that say like, oh, you know what? I really want to go down this route and sell products, courses and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a great question. So as I mentioned earlier, I started as a freelance writer and then I added on a, my first virtual assistant client in September. So, you know, within a few months of starting my business and I basically just repurposed skills that I had that I had been using in the office environment that I was working at. So my big niche for virtual assistant work myself is uh, email management. We all get bombarded with way too much email on a daily basis. And there's some people that are great about inbox zero and keeping up with things. There are other people that are more train wrecks, right? And that can cause them sales and relationships and all that kind of stuff. So it's email management, but it's also very much customer service related. And that's what I started doing. And then my first entry into the products realm was the initial version of my freelance writing course, which is called 30 Days or Less to Freelance Writing Success. I was still working my day job at the time and still building my own freelance business. And somebody had just said to me, like, why don't you create your own course? And I'm like, well, who am I to create a course? (laughs) You know, but that seed had been planted. And then I kind of had thought about it. And, you know, for those of you that have a lot of responsibilities, when I was building this business on the side of my full-time job, my daughter was less than one when we started, when I started it. So she was like 10 months and I was still nursing. My son, they're 19 months apart. So he was two and a half or whatever. And I would get up at 4.30 every morning to work on my freelance business because that's the time I had when my kids were sleeping and I wasn't at work and wasn't neglecting kind of family time. And so I actually recently got back to that, by the way. I'm doing the whole morning miracle, miracle morning thing. So I'm getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and swell. But to go back to, you know, I started working at 4.30 in the morning and I mentioned that because that's when I actually started writing the course. I would write a lesson or two every morning from that 4.30 to 6 o'clock in the morning time period. And I did that for the month of November 2014. And by the end of the month, I had written 30 days or less to freelance writing success, 30 standalone lessons that would help somebody start and grow a freelance business. So that was my first product. And then the second one was... uh, the same part of the title, 30 Days or Less to Virtual Assistant Success. So I've got a few different courses, one on on Pinterest. And then the reason that I had started something like the VA Finder was because I was running in circles with entrepreneurs like yourself. And I was running in circles and teaching all of these aspiring virtual assistants. And I had an amazing community. Most of them are from North America because I'm here in the United States. Most of them have their bachelor's degree, if not a master's degree. And they're just a lot of them women. There are some men, but a lot of the virtual assistants in my community are women that are very intelligent and qualified that maybe stayed at home with their kids for a couple of years or they're looking for a career change to be with their family more. But they have, you know, a career in corporate America. So highly skilled and qualified people. And, you know, there's people like yourself that are just looking to scale themselves and they need help. They don't want a full or part time employee. They don't need somebody in their home office to be working with them so they can totally work with somebody virtually. It, you know, is helpful if both understand an online presence and building an online business. But that usually comes with the territory, too. So it's actually not a money maker for me. I charge 49 bucks right now or 47. I don't know. I keep playing with pricing just like everybody else. 
And the goal is really to get that community of VAs hired. Like I want to teach them, but then I also want to see them succeed and help them to get hired. And I want, you know, these great entrepreneurs to be able to grow their business. So I price it that way on purpose because I want to make that connection and to, you know, get people going rather than have it be this huge revenue generator for my own company, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, you basically want to help people like yourself right? Like to be able to live their life the way that they want to live it, right? right? And that's, I mean, for me, that's why I built Feast, my course for freelancers to build a sustainable business. And at first I was like, okay, I've been able to build my business in one of the most expensive cities to live in in the world. And I've been doing it now for seven years. So if I can do it, anybody can do it, right? And I hear all the time that, you know, people are like, oh, but you know, I don't know, like they have all these excuses of why they can't do it. And for me, I'm like, okay, well, I'm an introvert. I'd much rather sit in my home office than go out and sell something to somebody. You know, I have a skill set, but I don't know business. I don't know marketing. I don't have that kind of a background, but I'm still able to do it. Right. And Feast itself was yeah. kind of like me being able to give back to that freelancer community to say, here, look, if you want to know what I did, this is what I did. Here's all my templates. Here's how I do it. Here's my thinking on these things, because I was getting asked all these things, you know, at, at conferences right. and things like that. Like, how do you charge what you charge? You know, how do you build in recurring revenue? How do you do all these things? And they say, like, the best is, is the first question is always, how big is your team? And I say, well, it's just me. Now, like, how is that possible? Right. And I said, well, a lot of it is processes and systems and things like yep. that. Once I do it a, twice manually, I write it down and then I figure out a way by using things like Zapier or IFTTT or something like that to kind of stitch things together before I yep. think about even hiring. And seven years in, I still haven't hired anybody. Right. So I'm doing what I need to do. And that's the same thing. Like, I love being able to hear people and help people especially like you said, client onboarding. And that's a big thing for me as well. Like I have an automated thing that goes out over six weeks when somebody comes on board and then the yep. client comes back and says, oh, this is great. I know exactly what to expect, when to expect it and all that stuff. And when somebody else implements that sort of thing and gets the feedback from their client, for me, that's like fuel to my fire. I'm like, nice. You know, that that's, that's why I did this. Right. I think yep. the old adage is, is always like, you know, just help people and then the money will come, right? And I think that if you go at certain things to be able to think that you're going to make millions of dollars at it, it's just, you're going to fall flat, right? Like for me, I right. just, I just want to be with my family. I want to travel, you know, and spend some time like on an afternoon on a random Tuesday to just quit work and go outside for a while. Right? Like I want to be able to have that flexibility to do that. So, yeah. And I was going to bring up the, one of my favorite things ever is just the student success stories, the feedback that you're getting, like that somebody took your processes that you spent your time creating and they were able to take and apply them to their own business and get similar results to help them to grow their own business. That's one of my favorite parts for sure. And I think it's easy like for people to see people like us that have like online courses and have gone from the service to the teaching side and think that we're just doing it about money, but they don't realize there's a lot of work that goes into 
like setting up an online course and it's not even writing the material. It's all of like the platforms and the integrations and all that kind of stuff to make sure that it is a good onboarding experience and customer service experience. But the other piece of it that I don't think it's talked about very often is like, I feel a weight and a responsibility of delivering on whatever I promised on my sales page. Right. So not I can't be responsible for what people decide to do with the material, whether or not they make their way all the way through the course or do all the action steps. I don't take that on necessarily, but I do want to see everybody succeed and give them the best chance of doing that. So like you, I have, you know, the material and then an autoresponder that goes over a 90 day period trying to encourage and come alongside them, asking them questions that they can reply to me and I'll reply to them, you know, an accompanying Facebook group, which isn't a new thing, but the two that I run are super supportive and positive places. I'm not in there every day, but I'll try and pop in there when I can. And so to me, just the weight of being kind of a teacher, because we're making money for it, like that does come with the territory. And yes, there's some passive income. It's not 100% passive, though, by the way, products are never 100% passive. Um, But yeah, so there's great points. And there's other challenges that come with it too. to me, the um, the benefits outweigh the challenges though. Yeah, definitely. And I agree with you. I don't ever call anything passive because <laughs> there's no such thing. I always, I like, uh, I forget where I heard it the first time, but it, I like to call it leveraged because it's something Ooh. that you have that you yes. can sell time and time and time again. So you're leveraging yes. that asset. So, but you still have to be marketing it. Like, oh, yes, you can, you know, get great SEO and, and all that kind of stuff where leads are coming to you or you're being found. But if you don't keep up on that, it can go away very quickly so that you're always, you know, blogging or you're at an event talking about something. So you have to always be marketing, whether it's a product or a service. We're in the marketing game, folks, being self-employed. Yep, 100%. So that leads me to... The, the one piece of advice you mentioned before is always marketing yourself, right? Yes. How do you do that? Like, is there one certain thing that you say, like, I know that this works for me, that it's my personality to do it this way. So I'm going to market myself and go double down on this tactic versus going down the, <laughs> the infinite number of marketing channels that you could possibly do. Well, I think um, that it can look different for everybody, but I can speak to what has worked for me. So I mentioned like metrics with prospecting earlier on, which is how I kind of built my business and keep myself accountable. One of them, in addition to pitching for actual paying work and clients, I also pitched for guest posts early on. And it was my way of building a brand and getting my name out there. And I don't pitch for guest posts anymore, but I get asked for to be a part of a roundup post or I get asked to do a Q&A style or whatever. And I almost always say yes, unless I don't know the person or it just has a really weird vibe. So I know that I should protect my time and I need to say no more often than I do. But I think that when I say yes to opportunities that like that and a backlink is never going to hurt anybody, that that has proved to be fruitful. So it's also like, I guess, being generous and generous can be with time. It can be with information. It can be with money. So thinking of everything as kind of an investment in my business, whether it be that time or money in advertising or, you know, service and teaching to other people. So always be marketing and and kind of being generous, I guess, would be the two things. And you can do that through, you know, the traditional methods of publishing really 
epic content on your own blog. It could be through doing podcast interviews and guest posts. It could be through just trying to build relationships. So a lot of people from my community too, I've had people here in Minnesota where I live, ask me to go for coffee. And it's like a physical in-person meeting. I live in the country, so it's at least a half hour each way drive time. And then like an hour, if not two of talking, because if you spark a good connection and have this great conversation, oftentimes it bleeds outside of that hour, right? So I, I think of that at first and I'm like, okay, that's two to three hours or half a work day on a Friday. Can I really afford to do that? Because my hourly ROI right now is kind of high. But then I'll take myself back and be like, okay, well, first of all, what are the pros and cons? I would enjoy this. I like sitting and talking with people. I could be helpful to this person. I just did this last week, which is why it's also fresh in my mind. And I don't regret it. So looking back on it, you know, I made the right decision. And I think I'll continue to try and do that stuff because it fills my bucket, if you will. But I think it's another thing that's really, it just kind of comes around in a different way. I don't know how I'll benefit from it, but I probably will. Mm -hmm. Does that Makes sense? Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, I'm very much the same way. Like even just, I mean, I live in Queens, which is one of the outer boroughs in New York City. But a lot of people like, you know, they either work in Manhattan or it's just easier to meet up there because, you know, not everybody knows the outer boroughs. So even just for me to get from my house to midtown Manhattan is a half hour subway ride. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I look at it like, you know what, this is a connection that I can make that, you know, is a longstanding relationship, hopefully later on. And I've done that. I've done that with owners of plugins and things like that. And they still refer me work. And so you never really know how it's going to come back to you in the end. It, people right. are always like, well, how do you measure the ROI on that? And I'm like, well, sometimes you just don't, right? Like you yep. just, you, it's your business. So you're not a couple of logos talking to each other. You're two people talking to people. each other. Right. Right. So, you know, and that's what business comes down to is again, relationships. That's why who, you know, is sometimes how successful you are. And it doesn't mean that you have to start out knowing everybody. I didn't, I had nobody in my sphere that helped me get started as a freelance writer, or online business person, no friends, family, nothing. I had people that were supportive of what I was trying to do, even though they didn't understand it, but I had no connections that helped me to get clients and things like that. So I like to use that as an example because who you know is important, but it's more about who you get to know. Right. And it doesn't have to be CEOs and all of these big heavy hitters. It can be people that you just normally come into contact with every day. It could be in person taking that time, but it could also be over Skype. Like we're talking and recording this interview now. This is an investment in our relationship, right? And who knows where that ends up leading in the future. You'll partner with people or I'll think of you or you'll think of me when you encounter somebody else that needs some help. And so when I say always be marketing, that's a huge part of it. It's definitely investing in relationships and taking the time, even when it's not always convenient. Now, don't go out there for 40 hours a week and just like say you're networking and you're going out to dinner and spending all this money and all stuff all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But in the age of social media and texting, like nobody talks on the phone anymore. And if you're working as an entrepreneur, you're probably working by yourself and that can be isolating. So just kind of think about some regular networking, however that comes to fruition for you as being a part of your uh, marketing efforts. Yeah. Well, that's great. I think that's an awesome point to end on. So before I actually let you go and you kind of 
mentioned somebody already that is actually scheduled for the podcast. So I don't know if you have somebody else in mind, but who would be an amazing freelancer that I should have on the show and why? Ooh, what, like, who would be your ideal guest? What are Uh, your, what else are people looking to learn on this podcast? Well, I mean, this season is all about getting clients. The next season will be marketing. Okay. So if it could be anybody that classifies themselves as a freelancer, consultants, solopreneur, even maybe a small agency that is killing it in a marketing game. So my friend Kristen Larson is behind Believe in a Budget, and her and I partnered on this Become a Pinterest VA Today course. Her background is in like property management and interior design or something, but she got into the freelance game by um, starting her own blog, and then she taught herself how to use Pinterest for marketing efforts, and she had a ton of success. She went from like three or 5,000 page views when she initially launched her blog to like 200,000 within months. And it came from Pinterest. So she could be a really good fit because it's such a specific niche. And I think that most, if not all businesses should be represented on Pinterest. And if you have a lot of other people like you in your audience, they might not even be considering it at all because they're dudes and they're more technical. So that could be something they're missing out on. Um, that's one that comes to mind. I could think of half a dozen others offline if you want me to. Cool. That's great. So, well, Kristen, it was. Kristen. Kristen the name. Yep. Kristen Larson. Okay. Great. So keep an and eye on your inbox. she's fun to talk to. All great. right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Gina, for your time today. Where can people reach out to you and say thanks? Sure. So Twitter is a big medium for a lot of people to do stuff like this. By the way, that's my favorite medium to get in touch with somebody if they like owe me an email or something (laughs) because it's really effective. So you can tweet me directly at Horky Handbook. My last name is H-O-R-K-E-Y and then Handbook. And then that's also my URL for the website as well, HorkyHandbook.com. Thanks for having me. This was super fun. I think we could talk about all this stuff all day. So hopefully there's a nugget or two that listeners can take away. And my big thing is like taking action. So take tiny steps, small actions, and they'll lead up to massive results over time. So that would be my hope for your audience is just like take one of the things that you listen to today. And, and, and I listen to your podcast on the subject, you know, so you take the half hour to listen to the podcast and the half hour to go implement it, right? For your lunch break. So I'm on board with that. Go do it, you guys. Great. Awesome. So I don't even have to tell you. Gina told you. All right. So, uh, so everybody, it's your time to live in the feast.